show I, I keep talking to my guest but I'll, I'll talk to her out here um uh, it's been a while thanks you guys for for, for, for coming yeah. uh, we've been apart for a while i missed you yeah i heard you had a, i heard you've been having pee pee trouble yeah i got i got i got i got i got what appears to be some kind of bladder infection no oh. it's all right it's all right <laughs> I did what I had to do to uh, get the uh, meds today. Like I, this it was this morning. I was like, "This is you know." I would you, you ladies know I was already a feminist, um, but boy, golly, these UTIs! Like I now I now as if I needed more reason to respect what you go through. Jeff, uh, statistically, women get more UTIs than men. I I knew that. Their uh, pee holes are closer to their buttholes. That's not why, Dan. That's not why. Also, the other side of the gender spectrum is a horrendous, filthy animal that always plunges. The, yeah. Okay. There's, there's a million reasons, but they get more UTIs. And I too, if you had described to me on paper, like, oh, there's a thing where you feel like you have to take a pee really bad, but all the time forever no matter how much you pee, you keep feeling like you have to pee, I'd be like, grow up. That's not even a disease. That sounds fun. I'd pay money to experience that at like a theme park. That sounds like an escape room to me. Bring it on. I'd love to feel what it feels like to have to pee all the time. I experienced it for three hours this morning and I was like, Rick and Morty's canceled. I'm, I can't, I'm gonna kill myself. And I'm, go, I'm gonna take the gun that I reassembled after I bought it and I'm gonna just, I don't even have to point it at my head to kill myself because as we established, it's probably poorly reassembled by a liberal and I, I'll, it'll just blow up in my hand and I'll bleed out because I don't know how to do anything, least of all handle a UTI. And my intrepid assistant, Steve Levy, did exactly what I commanded him to do, which is I don't care what you have to do, find me a doctor that will look at my dick today. Immediately. And he found one. I, I know a couple. And God bless this guy's heart. I mean, it's like if you're gonna see a doctor same day, you're not you're not seeing like the same doctor that they're not sending their best. <laughs> 
<laughs> the, the medical community is sending their best in the in the sort of like Katrina sandbag sense of like <laughs> like like whether they're like I mean it's it's it like they're they're it's like you're you're gonna you're gonna end up in an office with somebody that's like like this guy gave me a whole speech after he asked me about my dick for a bunch of times. It was like, it was really heartwarming. And he was like, by the way, I, I know you have another doctor and you're here because you know, I was the one that could see you right away. But the thing is, if you did want to be, you know, it's, it's sort of like a courtship like thing or it's like, but not cause he wasn't like trying to swindle me into being his patient. He was more telling me in a really sweet way. He's like, look, if it's a Monday, a Wednesday, or a Friday, and it's between these hours, you can walk in here, ask any of my other patients. If you're the first one in, you're the first one I'll see. Uh, those other uh, uh, three days, I'm working in urgent care. I do this all this. He's just like, oh, you're a little sweetheart. You're a little sweetheart. But you don't care about my dick. Right. Not in the way that I, a guy who like spent three hours in discomfort and who WebMD'd it, I know exactly what I want. I'm like, bitch. I gave you That's a cup of pee. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to analyze it. Tell me what beasties are in it. He dipped a thing in it, and he's like, there's blood in your urine. I'm like, visibly to the naked eye? He's like, no, I put a thing in it. I'm like, okay, so talk to me. You had blood in the pee-pee? Yeah, there's blood in the pee-pee, but only detectable by a litmus strip. Not, right. not, right. You know, not visible blood. Yeah, I'm not blood urine shaming anyone out there who has visible <laughs> blood in their urine. Like, I, I, I'm down with everyone. I, I, I went in and I I'm like... I think gotten off to a zooming start. I, I just, I, to, I told the guy, I'm like, the guy goes, look, how old are you? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> like a million years old. I'm a million years old. Like, I know what questions are coming next. By the way, they ask you, you go and you fill the forms. I, come on, I don't want to complain. I don't think this. they look at the forms. They don't look at the forms! They don't look at the forms! <laughs> Not only don't they look at the forms, even the people that don't look at the forms, they don't even talk to the people that haven't yet looked at the forms. And they, and even though they ask you the same fucking questions, they're not, I don't even think they're writing them down. It seems like it would be a great step to look at those forms before look it comes in and talks to you. Look at the goddamn forms! I, my address is on your fucking clipboard a thousand times. Right. And I, like, two orderlies came in and were like, yeah, well, like, is your dad divorced? Does he have a fungus in his foot? And I'm like, I'm like, like there, there was, I watched the data get shuffled. There was like, like the doctor eventually was like, and when did your dad die? I'm like, he never died. Like, you guys just keep asking the same questions. I'm trying to answer them as fast as possible. I got, I got two parents. I got some brothers and sisters. I don't smoke anymore. I drink a lot. I never hydrate. I'm a fucking walking time bomb. My dick burns. I read on the internet, it probably means I got a UTI. All right. It's true. So, so the guy was like, but the guy was like, He's like, he's like, yeah, you know, uh, hey, you know, what do you, it sounds like you drink a lot more coffee than you used to, and uh, you never had any water since, like, Clinton, and, <laughs> like, you know, he's, he's, oh, he's a real, you know, he's a good guy, and he's like, if, if we were in a, a world of socialized medicine, this is the guy you want, because he's not going to immediately prescribe me something, right? right? I want the prescription. My dick hurts. But he's like, you know, come on, you're 46, you know. Ah, so much coffee. You know, sometimes you irritate your bladder. And is, he, is, is your doctor Benicio del Toro? No. So I go, I go. Okay, all right, that sounds great, doctor. But what is, is, is there an antibiotic 
that like if I took it and I didn't have a bacterial infection in my dick hole, would it kill me? No. Do you want you want that? Yes, I do. Yeah, yeah. It, it, is there anything? How many tests can you run on the cup of pee I gave you with my broken dick? Uh, well, we could do this. Do do them all. I'm not gonna know them, them by name. Do them all. Do all. The, is there a lab? Yes, there's a lab upstairs. Oh, send it to the lab. Well, that's gonna. Yeah, I don't send it. Don't send the pee to everything. Give me all the shit. And then I, as I was walking out, I'm like, by the way, is this the, the shit you scribbled on a fucking magic thing that's going to make the thing downstairs make, give me a bottle of pills? Is that the thing that makes your pee orange that also makes you not feel like you have to pee? Oh, no, no. That's just a painkiller. Do you want that too? Yes! Yes! Okay. Can I be a doctor now? I did so much today. I did so much diagnosis. I sent so many things to so many labs. I, I diagnosed myself. I prescribed myself. I gave myself a prognosis. By the way, I've got like five years left to live. Like, I, I did a, I, can I, can I just, can I have more money? That's like a lot of people have that uh, unfortunate experience. They call it like you got to be your own health advocate or some such, which just means like the doctor don't give a fuck. Yeah. But I do think, I mean, I, I walked out of there thinking like I wanted to be outraged, but then I gave it a second thought and I was like, well, wait a minute, you'd be, you'd be more outraged if you're Beverly Hills doctor, like uh, if you went in with an itchy dick and he was like, well, just to be careful, we should do all these 8 million things. Right. You'd be outraged for that reason. Yeah. It's a, uh, I have a doctor who's pretty good about like just being like, Hey, I think, I think I need a cough syrup and it'll be like, Oh, okay. If you say so. It feels great because I just like I just go in. It's like a store. It did feel like a gateway. It was like 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 when you realize in uh, in Stardew Valley that you can build the greenhouse. You know, it's like oh shit, I can grow like cantaloupe in the winter. Can I? <laughs> that, talk, that's I, a big. It's good. Oh sorry. Can, can I tell you something that, that happened to me about three days ago? That's pretty important to me. All right. Okay. I, I mean, you're, you're going through some medical woes right now. Yeah. I oh, think oh, it's, well, before I go on, are you feeling better? Are you Are you recovering? I feel great. I'm I'm on some weird pill that makes your piss orange and like makes you never feel like you have to pee. I might be pissing my pants right now <laughs> with orange piss. Yes. Well, you you should always wear blue pants because they're complementary colors. And, and you have, so well, well done. All right, tell us what you got. Um, I went to a wedding. I was invited by uh, mutual friends of lots of people here, Brandon and I and other people, uh, J uh, Jesse Schwartz, invited to a celebrity wedding on the Isle of Catalina. It was a three-day affair. And I thought, if we're going to do this, let's do it right, and let's take the chopper. Let's take the helicopter out of San Pedro. I've been to Catalina many times. always took the boat. The boat is all right. I like the boat. But... Uh, Let's take the chopper. So we get to the San Pedro chopper place. <laughs> it's not what it's called. Uh, <laughs> and we, we, they get our bags and these two young guys who are certainly high. The, uh, I, they, they were late. I called up my travel agent, our travel agent. I'm like, there's nobody here. And they, she got online with the people. And they're like, they like to take a late lunch. These two dudes come in, young guys. And they have burgers and burritos, and they're stoned. They like to take a and, late and lunch. And my first question was, you guys aren't the pilots, I hope. And they're like, no, they, uh, yeah, yeah, no, no. Uh, yeah, you, uh, the chopper will be here in a minute. He's coming in. We're like, okay. So the chopper comes in. They take our bags. We're walking out there, and, you just, and there's a big-ass chopper there, and it's, it's exciting. I like helicopters. And the guy holding my bag says, he turns to us and says, hey, uh, have you guys ever seen the, uh, 
The musical movie Grease. <laughs> the, wait, wait. That, is that how he phrased it? Have you ever seen well, the musical movie Grease? Well, I certainly hope like, hey, so. Guys, have you guys ever read the novelization Back to the Future? <laughs> he said, "Have you ever seen Grease, the movie, the musical?" He said it, he, he right. laid it out. Okay. Darn. Yeah, I wanted to be certain that he doesn't want to know if I'd saw it like off Broadway. As a helicopter like pilot, he's aware. He's that, the pilot. Of the geographic I- ambiguities as he, well. Yes, have he, you ever seen Greece? Listen to me. Yes, he's this guy's not. The I pilot. might be taking you to Greece. This, this, this fellow is the guy that's giving us uh, given us a very uh, quick safety instruction and is now taking our bags out to the chopper, which is on the pad, and the and the and the the, the whirlies are burning. I don't know how you say it. And uh, I'm excited. Jesse's excited. We're we're, we're going on a trip uh, to a celebrity wedding and. Uh, and uh, AG's going to be there. It's going to be great. <laughs> Whatever wedding you went to, I hope they're proud of being a celebrity wedding. I want I want to have a celebrity wedding. Oh, wait, I did, and then I got divorced. <laughs> All right. you're, don't, you're, don't have a celebrity wedding. They're not. They don't. Anyway, it, it was a fancy pants wedding. Let's say that at least. So we're going to go out there fancy pants style. Now here's this beautiful, like F star or four star or some something star chopper, and the guy goes, "Have you ever seen Greece the movie?" Like, and I, yeah, and he goes. Your pilot is Lorenzo Lamas. <laughs> Wait, what the fuck? That's Wait, what, that's what, what I said. And, and so I freak out because I don't know if, if, if is that any, beauty school dropout uh, uh, guy. No, or? no, he Wait. he has he has no lines. He plays a jock in it at the end of it. But he's also Renegade, the TV show in the nineties. He, yeah, he's a Golden Globe winner from Falcon Crest. I he, guess most importantly, he's the guy that Billy Crystal's doing an impression of when he says, "You look marvelous." That's Fernando Lamas. That oh okay. Who, who is his dad? Lorenzo Lamas. No, he was okay. Okay, he was the he 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 uh yeah he he was in like weird like uh, Renegade. Yeah, where he, where like he, 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 he like had a talking he was a, he uh, spaceship. Was, no, he didn't and, have a talking spaceship, but yeah, he, I'm sure he did. But he, but he, uh, a lot of people back then did. And uh, he, Google uh, it. I, I believe Renegade turned in crooked cops, and they framed him for murder. So he and a Native American and a woman go off to, to kind of set the record straight. What? Yeah. <laughs> My favorite show. Favorite show. You, you never saw Renegade. I want to know nothing more about it. I want. Right. I, like, I just love that it's I, three people instead of either two or five. No, that's probably five. He and a Native American and a woman. Okay, I, I'm already like. I'm in. gonna show you. I'm gonna show it's, you because it's three people, so it's always gonna be kind of weird. I, I did a screen grab while we took the lift here. I have a screen grab of the poster or like the, the ad, the billboard ad for Renegade, and this is gonna ring some bells for you, Dan. Uh, this is important. Yeah, I'm remembering now. I realized the Lamas. The, the, That's the, the, yeah. Oh yeah, okay. he was. Uh, man, that is. <laughs> we'll that put is, it on the cut. social media. Flewis the Catalina. Okay, so he you were hanging out with him. Okay, so no, so oh, wait, we, he flew. Yeah, he flew. The he's helicopter. the fucking captain. So we get on the we get in the chopper. There's three in the back. I'm one, and there's and two other like a, another young couple. It's also a weird thing, but I'm sorry to cut you off. But it's no, just weird. I, I will talk about this for the rest first of the time show. on a helicopter. Yeah. So here's the thing: like, keep your head down when you get in, because there's a thing on top that'll cut your head off. Um, I'm gonna tighten your seatbelt real quick. Hey, by the way, do you like dentistry? Yeah, I do. Your pilot's a dentist. Bye. <laughs> I like don't I don't leave no, no. me with that thought. No, 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 I don't no, care how good a dentist he I, was. I think this guy saw that I was over forty and might know who Lorenzo Lamas is. All right. <laughs> I mean, I, I guess he's also seen a bunch of helicopters that didn't go down, so he's comfortable just being like, "Hey, here's a trivial thing: your pilot, not his first calling." <laughs> but it is. See now. you later. 
later. Well, it, my, 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 mine's tightening seatbelts and doing trivia. Bye. Famous people. Famous people love being pilots for some yeah. reason. And it's and a th- big th- thing. This is for his them. new love. I, I read up on it today. Uh, he loves flying choppers. He he, he flies uh, through the Grand Canyon. He'll fly over New York City. Uh, but he's decided you're not even supposed to fly through the Grand Canyon. Yeah. He sounds like a terrible Lord, pilot. Fuck it. He, he was that's r- the lowest altitude. It's lower than the ground. But he's technically crashing. He found the only place he can do that without crashing. Because he's fucking. He's throwing what's called a helicopter okay, tantrum. So, so we we, we, we flying through the Grand Canyon. What you're technically doing is crashing we, and living. We we hop on board, and we we get in the, the thing, and I'm in the back seat with two others. Jesse is in the front seat, and you get the headset with the with the microphone. And uh, and he's and, and he's getting th- he's talking to the tower. You can hear all the chatter and, on your on your headset, all the radio communication, and we can all hear each other. I coughed into it by accident, and you could, and everybody could hear me cough. <laughs> so so we get up in the air, and I go, um, "Are you uh, are, are you Captain Lamas?" And 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 he goes, uh, "Yes, I am." I go, "It's nice who's, to meet you." And he goes, asking. It's, "It's nice to meet you." <laughs> so he's got shorts on. He's tan and he's fucking beautiful. He's absolutely beautiful. And uh, I was just hoping that Jesse would just give him like a handy, like something, like make it, make this count. And he's flying, and all I want to do is ask Fernando Lamas questions. And I, I got the com on, and we're, and I was like, hey, what, what, the, what, what kind of aircraft we're flying here, Captain? And he's like, it's an F star, and I, I don't know, something like that, A star. It's, it's a Death Star. It's a Death Star. <laughs> and we're going, and you're, you're right over the deck. It's Jurassic Park with the thing without the pelicans flying alongside, and we're, we're going along. And I just, I'm dying. I got to talk to him. And the only thing I said to him, the, the whole flight was, <laughs> said, uh, hey, uh, Captain? <laughs> yeah. I said, uh, what's our altitude? And he goes, 500. And that was it. Ah! And then we, that was it. And then we landed. And I thought, maybe we get a fucking picture with Fernando, La- uh, Fernando Lorenzo Lamas. And he will come out and like, he knows that we all want a photo with him. Because he's clearly aware that I'm a fan. Or at least... A, like, I just want to interrupt with one thing because it's important. You can interrupt with a thousand your recovery. Things. That's... The, 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 Jeff just told a celebrity story that didn't end with the celebrity thanking him for talking to well, him. Well, not like, yet. That was no, a, the exact that opposite. That was so Dan. brave for the, you. The exa- oh, yeah, this is like, hard. Yeah, that was just an unremarkable encounter with a celebrity, you and you just took e- the L. I don't, this is not easy for me. He, we land. He does a beautiful landing. He landed on a dime and gave you some change. And then... <laughs> A, that is a really accurate helicopter landing. That's and then we get out, and they go, you got to run off, and then take off your safety harness thing. You, you, you get like a little safety pack around you in case you die. And uh, he instantly just goes... Bones right out. He's like, I'm sorry, Angie Harmon's on the set of Rizzoli Island. Yeah, but also, he has to go uh, solve the, the murder that he was framed for. Like, it's yeah, fucking, yeah, 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 you don't know. Um, that is just good shit. And I, I, I'm still not over it. Uh, Lorenzo Lamas uh, flew me to uh, to Catalina Islands. I, I mean, I would be talking about that for a long time. Let, let's the, bring out, these, these kids seem to agree. Let's bring out Brandon Johnson, everybody. Brandon Johnson! Yeah. Where's my music? Uh... Yeah, and let's escalate things. But first, Brandon, how's it going? How's your uh, what's it like doing a voice on The Simpsons for like forty years? <laughs> 
you know, they uh, they decided let's just uh, let's blow it out with a little Brandon Johnson talent. And guess who's disappointed? <laughs> <laughs> How is it going? It's good to have you back. It's good to be here. I just stopped by to see what you guys were up to. Uh, there was a chance Jeff was going to be late, so I stood. There's always I stood a chance, on the, yeah. the circle. I stood on deck just in case. Uh, a, because my, I, I was taking the boat back, and uh, <laughs> Patrick Swayze is. <laughs> no, he's dead. He's dead. Well, hey, look, man. He's dead. Dead men tell no tales. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the problem. He was on a ghost ship. I'm sorry. That's it. It's in poor taste. He's a beloved actor. That probably. Uh, all right. Anyways, but, Darren, it's listen. funny you say that because I did the exact same joke, and someone said, "No, he's dead." I did the same joke. Today. Really? Yeah. Is, but, it, is this like in our iCloud? Like, I just said, that's the guy that would be piloting the boat. I just said Patrick Swayze too. <laughs> I think I meant Patrick Stewart. I, I was. We should have gone with like like Morgan Freeman. Anybody like? No, he's uh, too. A, he's too A level. You need that B ish level. Uh, anyway, Brandon, how's it going, man? It's so good. But let's. You, I know what you're saying. Let's get to it, right? Let's just get to it. I was here yeah, on deck. Know Brandon, just in case, say, y'all know me. It's good to see you. But yeah, let's get to it. I really am enamored with our guest. Let's and get I to want, it. I want her to remember this as a as a powerful time. But th- that's also not going to affect my behavior. Like for instance, I'm gonna get. I'm not gonna get shit faced before the show and then fumble everything. Um, but I am. I'm. I'm. I'm, I'm I'm, look, I, th- this is a this is the story of a person who was being made fun of uh, from childhood for uh, her voice, and then uh, uh, through no uh, uh, seeking of her own, ended up uh, becoming incredibly famous for that exact same voice. And I would imagine, although we haven't asked her yet, I I almost think that that voice like may um, prohibit her from being in like your average like movies now that are all made from CG. Maybe that's one thing we'll ask her about. But got to be one of the most famous voices we've we've we we'll, you'll ever hear. Um, but also an incredible person happens to be the, the the connection here is that she she makes like this incredibly gourmet true crime podcast. Dan, we hate true crime. We hate that you're into it. Fuck off. <laughs> it's actually a, it's actually a show you'd love if you weren't into true crime. Also, she's she she's she her look. Let me put it this way: her Wikipedia page, I'd trade it in a second. <laughs> It's a good Wikipedia page. It's the kind you'd want. If a safe fell on your head and you had her Wikipedia page, you'd love it. Um, but all I'm going to do is ask her questions about Maximum Overdrive. Please welcome uh, actress, writer, performer, activist, uh, uh, stateswoman, uh, 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 hopefully new friend, Yardley Smith. <laughs> Anywhere you like, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, you can move my, the metaphor for my <laughs> eclipsing alcoholism. <clears throat> Is there any room for this table to have function? No, there's not. <laughs> In its place, my awareness. Um, uh, so let's, uh, l- l- I want to start w- with your, uh, upbringing because, uh, I did go through your Wikipedia page a little bit. First of all, thank you for who coming. Who writes those? I don't know who writes them. Collectively, a, a swarm, a swarm. <laughs> huh? It's so weird. And it's weird that you can't go in and edit them yourself. 
I bet you could if you really wanted to. No, you can't. You, no, you, you can't. I've you tried, can't. actually. I've, I've tried to get some stuff off there forever. Right? Yeah. Oh, really? No, it, <laughs> I, I don't know how it's run. There's there's things on there that just really shouldn't be there. It's 100% true. Yeah. Because you uh, used to be uh, the, the Sultan of Brunei. I did. Yes. And I tried to say it's no longer relevant, and they're like, fuck off. We're keeping it. Who does? Like, what is that? But it's is not it, do true. you ever look at yours? I uh, haven't in a very long time. I haven't. I actually, you know what's funny? I was reading um, an article in Vanity Fair or something, and it was an old archived article, and uh, it said that, I think it was actually about Jennifer Lopez, and it was, and Jennifer Lopez was saying, oh, I never read interviews about myself, and the interviewer was saying in parentheses, P.S., celebrities always say that, and they always read interviews about themselves. That's actually not true. It's I mean, not true. Yeah, I, I, like, I don't read interviews about myself. I rarely, I rarely listen to interviews I give. I never read reviews anymore. I don't read the good or the bad. It just doesn't help me. No. It's very odd. It's odd to be objectified in that way, and it, re- it can really well, fuck you pro- up. Well, the profit wears off. It, 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 it can only get you so high. Yes. And then if you're a responsible <laughs> person, you're like, oh, I can only go down. I think if, the, if you're healthy and you're privileged enough to be famous for a certain amount of time, I would expect it to top off where you're like, I'm not looking at any of it. But it has the weird effect of like, oh, I hate my own name. I can't, I can't like, oh, I go to YouTube and I'm like, I wish I knew how to build a model airplane. And they're like, yeah, but you're Dan Harmon. Don't you want to read why Rick and Morty sucked in season three? I'm like, no, I, I don't. I no, don't want to read anything about any, anything that has anything to do with my name. And and my, my sorry, I, I, I shouldn't do all the talking. I'm a bad interviewer. You, you, you're going to find true. that out. You're I do find actually want to know how you came up with Rick and Morty. Because it boy, seems like a fantastic... Started. It's a, it's a great... Yardley, you've made a grave error here. <laughs> you know goddamn well how we did, because you know the show you work on rips it off every week. Isn't no, I want to talk... Imitation the most sincerest form of flattery, isn't that what I they say? I did want to say to you, though, because as I was reading your Wikipedia page <laughs> at the bar before the show, I'm like, I want... I bet this person doesn't look at her Wikipedia page because I bet she's very healthy and I bet she <laughs> deserves to know this is an immaculate Wikipedia page. Oh. You, it, 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 like, just when you think, what a nice person, what a good, solid person, right at the end. Does it say I'll turn it's on like, you? It's like, no, right at the end, it's like, oh, by the way, huge LGBTQ fucking like yes, uh, benefactor. True. And it's like, <laughs> like snow in the camera. Shout. <laughs> I like 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 didn't ask for it didn't come hat in hand you're just like oh yeah by the way gay people do like fucking nailed it that's true yes. you did a, you did a one woman show about uh, I did. A, a, where you're like you know bearing all and being honest about this this very I would say strange career you've had yes um, so let's talk about that now uh, for Brandon you're okay you gotta you gotta drink settle in let's go. <laughs> Um, some of the striking stuff that I, that, 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 about your early career is this, is the alienation because you didn't, you, 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 I, you express to interviewers in the past about coming out here and let's set the stage. It's like what? 80, when do you, uh, came out here in like 80s, 86, early 86. And, and, and as you described it, and as someone described your description in Wikipedia, it was like on a half promise, 
of yes. something, which I think is everyone's story that comes from somewhere to L.A. I'd gotten a, an L.A. agent. I had a New York agent. I'd done incredibly well in New York. I had... Um, I'd been there for literally six weeks. I had auditioned for Mike Nichols, who was directing a Tom Stoppard play on Broadway. Mm -hmm. I got that job. What? <laughs> uh, that was me. What, what? What? That's that's crazy. Yeah, I mean, well, that's crazy. Great... Hey, I just I, I'm I'm new in town, and before you can put your suitcase down, you're working with geniuses. That's crazy. I was, um, but and the funny thing was is that I didn't know the part I was auditioning for was actually to understudy Cynthia Nixon. <laughs> I thought it was to play um, Jeremy Irons' daughter, but it was in fact to understudy Ooh. Cynthia Nixon, who was playing Jeremy Irons' daughter, and I was like, fuck that. Fuck that noise. I am not doing that. And my agent was like, who are you? And also, to be what clear. What is wrong with you? You like, were already East Coast. Like, who comes to the West Coast to do a Tom Stoppard play with Mike No, Nichols? no, that was in New York. Oh, okay. Yeah, All yeah. Right. So this is still, wait, so where were you, what did you come out? I remember, wait, wait, don't tell me. It was, it was <laughs> in Paris. Uh, I was born in Paris because yeah. my father was a foreign correspondent. And so my, and he was actually in Poland when my mother was pregnant with me. And he was, my mother, I have an older brother who was born in London and she was in po Poland when she was pregnant with him as well. And the Polish doctors said to my mother, you don't, <clears throat> you don't speak the language very well. And if something goes wrong, we probably can't accommodate you as well as we, you can in a Western country. So get out of here. <clears throat> so go somewhere else. <laughs> so she went to London for my brother. That was 1963. She went to Paris for me. That was 1964. And people think, by the way, that the phrase Polish medicine is racist. <laughs> it's totally how they practice. They're just like, hey, you don't talk right. Get out of here. We can't. You that's, don't understand that's what I call us. A Please Polish go. Doctor. And All she right. had an aunt and uncle um, summering in Paris, so she went there. So you, so so so. So now it says French-born like American actress, which makes me sound like you know, um, like I'm Juliette Binoche, but it's nothing like that. <laughs> it's not at all like that. It's so overstated. And you described <laughs> like being teased for your voice, yeah, yeah, by friends and family alike. Uh, it's uh, I, I think your quote was, "It's basically been the same since I was six. Yes, there it just didn't change. Like, to what extent was that? I mean, what was that really like? Did you have moments of like, um, whatever the vocal equivalent of looking in a mirror was, and like wishing, like, 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 what's the vocal equivalent of patting the bra? What's the vocal equivalent of like, <laughs> God damn it, change my voice? Or were you like, fuck this, I can't be ashamed of this." I think um, I, I think I just didn't really <clears throat> excuse me. I didn't really think that there was anything that would stop me from ruling the world. <laughs> I just, but I also didn't think that I my voice would ever be my fortune. So <laughs> voiceover was never on the menu in terms of how I was going to rule the world. So when people say, when you got The Simpsons, that must have been fantastic. I was like, I don't really care about voiceover. It just, I didn't like, it just didn't even register. Right. And it didn't register for a really long time because I think I, it just, it had never, I never considered it an asset. And I, so I didn't have a voiceover agent. It just was like, that's not how it's going, that's not how I'm going to win. Mm -hmm. So Whatever. Okay, nobody I'll ever, do it. Nobody ever came up to you and said you should be in voiceover with a voice. Oh voice. no, really? No. And to what do you tr attribute this? Like uh, the negative word would be narcissism, although I don't call it negative. Like the, the idea that you're assuming, <laughs> like 
Like your parents weren't actors. They weren't no. directors. They weren't, I think your dad was a correspondent. Or yes, a, he, he was a newspaper man. And, and uh, like these people weren't telling you, oh, Yardley, you got to be an actor. No. But you're thinking in your head, one way or another, I'm going to dominate. Yes. What do you ever, you, have you thought, does that come from nature or nurture <laughs> is what we all want to know. Somebody's like, what the fuck is wrong with you? No, um, are you kidding? No, <laughs> we want to know how do I, how do I manufacture this? Do I have to be born right? <laughs> or do I have to just think it and fucking do it? It's a good question. I, I don't remember a time. Um, I, I, well, I think there it's two sides of the same coin. So I remember um, being afraid of everything. And so it wasn't that I was fearless. It was that I had this overabundance of courage. And if I didn't... In the I face of insurmountable... In the face of extraordinary insecurity. Yeah, because like, it's like you're not going to... You're, you're not going to punch somebody. No. And yeah. and I was small. I yeah. mean, I was a, I was a little kid, and I had this tiny, tiny voice, and um, I, and I and and yet I had a there was a ferocity to me, and so, but I also and I always felt a little bit like I didn't belong, and I remember being about five years old, and there was a woman in my neighborhood in Washington D.C. where I grew up, and she used to have this theater in the summers. She had a one-car garage, and she would get all the kids together, and sh and she would make us lip sync to musicals like The Sound of Music and Fiddler on the Roof, and she would dress us up, and she would also do these things like living portraits, right? And so I was a portrait of Mary that Mary Cassatt did, this American artist, and I was this. It was a little girl in a straw hat. So music was playing, and I remember my knees were knocking, and there was a curtain, and the curtain drew back. And as soon as the light hit me, my knees stopped knocking, and I f thought, like, oh, okay. uh, ah, oh, I, oh, I, oh, okay, I think I'll be all right here. Uh, and and I just sort of. I think I just felt like I belong. And then after that, I started to do plays. And the great thing about doing a play was even if it had a sad ending, I knew how it ended and I could prepare for it. <laughs> it was like predicting the future. Yeah. And so that for and a control managing freak, your relationship with yes. other people and who it can was, either be your tormentor yes. or they can sit the fuck down and watch you. You knew it was going to happen. Yeah. And did you have and the that same? That was very appealing because like, I, I did theater as a kid and stuff, and I, I've always felt very comfortable in theater. Did you? Did you get the same comfort backstage with the cast and the, uh, you know, the crew and all that? Did you get yes. the same kind of? There's, there's like, is that kind of familial? Very yes. Yeah. And I loved the relationship with the audience. That exchange of energy was was ex extraordinary, and and it was really powerful. And I remember my first play, you know, my first like real play. We did. I remember Mama, and I played the youngest daughter. And my very first line, I got this huge laugh. And I remember how powerful that was. And I just thought. All right. Do you remember it changing the that. dynamic in your social structure? Was there a moment when you were, because I remember being a dork and stinky, and boy, did that change. Um, but but there was there was a certain there was a shift. I don't I don't have a dramatic moment of it, but I was very much not going to stop doing drama club and improv classes because of do you remember did it change the dynamic of your whole world did you go up on stage and do a thing and then the next day at school because i'm trying to place you in like a hallway or something yes um you know i my 
theory is, my experience was, for the most part, people were really happy and excited that I had clearly sort of, I'd done really well and um, for lack of a better word, I had sort of cast a spell to the extent that even their own parents had come up and been like, what? That was amazing, right? But also there were always kids who were not happy for you. (laughs) And I feel like any time as a young person, and even as a grown-up, I suppose, but particularly hard when you're a kid, you do something really well. It sets you you apart from your peer group. So Mm -hmm. if you're good at math or sports or drama or anything, it sets you apart. Part, and that can be really isolating. And actually, I and so I don't know if I'm reading into this, but it it sets you apart actually more profoundly from the people that were might have been closer to you had you stayed in your shell. Sure. Then it does the quarterback of the football team and the head cheerleader who are who are very content to go. Hey, how about that Yardley? I had no problem with her before. Totally ignored her. Now very happy to give her the <laughs> high school equivalent of best supporting <laughs> actor. After like they become your biggest fan. Right. They can they can comfortably make that shift. And somebody that maybe you've bonded with in the bathroom and cried with about how hard it feels to be alienated, th- that may become a person that you actually hurt. They, they can feel left behind, even though you had no intention of leaving them behind. You only got an intention of dominating the world. <laughs> <laughs> you got no time to think about that. Come, yeah. come be in my world. <laughs> okay, so... Let me dominate you. Um, no, no, and, no. And, and, and one I'm quick a kind question. ruler. I am a good, well, kind ruler. Are you? Are you really? We don't know this yet. <laughs> we can, we'll fast forward in a second to, like, I mean... But but I do want to dwell here for a second and just ask, like, what was the dynamic with the family? Because they weren't actors. They weren't filmmakers. They weren't. Did they have expectations of you? Were you letting them down when they suddenly realized that <laughs> I want to perform? Um, I don't know that I. I well, I think <laughs> I think they were probably a bit worried that that you were going to live at home for a longer time ever, than a doctor forever yeah um that it might not work out the way i had planned because <laughs> i didn't really have a plan what's your plan yardley i'm just going to i'm going to rule the world right. that's great how's the that going the medical industry like lays yeah. it out in a brochure exactly your daughter will in 6 <laughs> years be a registered bloobity blue right there there was no yeah. you know how are you going to get there mm. <laughs> um i got a good feeling though uh, <laughs> Pretty sure a bunch of shit's gonna happen. Sure, it's all gonna work out. Why? How do you know? I don't know. I just know. Um, But I, but you know, in our family, I feel like um, compliments were uh, implied. Excellence was expected, and so. Why is that so funny? No, because it's a fucking beautiful way of describing the Midwest. I, I, I was like, wow, I wish I could be that gracious. Instead of going like, my fucking parents suck, bro. <laughs> Compliments are implied. Yeah, it was yeah. just, you know, there wasn't, it wasn't, uh, well, uh, I would say other What kind of person needs a compliment? The answer is someone who doesn't deserve one. That's the Midwestern <laughs> philosophy. You don't you don't plug an air hose into a person with a hole in their air supply. <laughs> it's not healthy. Yeah, it was it, uh, it was um, 
Uh, it, which is, I think, part of the, you know, the flip side of the coin and part of the insecurity of wanting to sort of get a kind of <clears throat> global love, global recognition, excuse me, to make up for this kind of, for this whole. And I have spoken, people say like, oh, Yardley, you know, I joke sometimes like, if I was more like this, I would be more successful. And they're like, shut the fuck up. You're so, you are so successful. And how can you say that? And there is this feeling inside, if you really, really want to get granular about it, that if I, if I felt truly successful, then this, this kind of forever hole inside would feel filled. Mm -hmm. But the truth of the matter is, is that you can't fill up the inside from the outside. And that's what my one woman show was about. And I so want to make sure a, I understand that. A cautionary that. tale. Of, like, she's talking some black woman shit tonight. <laughs> that is very impressive. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I think it's important to note here for cynics and things because, I mean, I think the when you take a deep dive and you really bother to think about it, um, uh, The Simpsons, which has been on the air longer than the Bible, um, <laughs> it... Um, and we'll, and we'll, and we'll, you know, obviously it's like, it, it, we should talk about like the, those first moments of auditioning and things, but like, I, it's, it's important to note that like everybody who knows anything about that show and why it's successful, why you have an Emmy, which you, I saw on the internet, you, you don't believe is real. Um, I, it, I do it, now, I, but it did sit in the <laughs> closet for nine years. But like, um, <laughs> It, that that show in general, every performer on that show, like kind of collectively, everybody that worked on that show, I mean, it was it was an animated show that it I think your 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 portrayal, like it it exemplifies the fact like, like there's a lot of quotes from Greenig and from editors and directors, casting directors, friends of yours and things that are kind of like, yeah, she didn't like it it who knows flukity fluke who knows how you end up being the voice of a cartoon but like the important thing about that cartoon the reason why it's now in its 60th season is because of this weird blend of grounded dramatic performance and cartoonishly ex accessible um uh voices i guess i mean you're being drawn and so it's like it yeah, so, so so I I I just wanted to take that detour for a second in case anybody like in the audience is like listening to our our path through your career and going like, what the fuck, man? Whatever. You show up for an audition, you got a squeaky voice, you end up like the voice of a thing. It's like no, this is not like this. There there are no flukes here. And in fact, what you're describing is actually kind of like something that you're not allowed to own as a person, which is this what if of like yeah, but what if. I mean, I was designed for world domination and I fucking dominated it through the most random channel. What if, what if that channel hadn't been there? I might've been a Senator. I might've been, I don't know. Like, like, 
and I won't put you on the spot with that, but I, I just wanted to drunkenly I remember, disrupt uh, everything. Uh, well, we, we, uh, uh, Dan and I were friends with Sam Simon, uh, and we, I was talking to him about the early days of that, and uh, he he was talking about how he didn't like the way it changed after so many seasons, and you know because you know, he's Sam and he you know he he left after what two seasons or something like that. Uh, three or four, I think. Oh, okay. but yes. But he was talking about it, and I, I remember him saying that. Like going down the list of the cast of characters, what Bart is, what Homer is, what Marge is, and he said Lisa is the conscience of the show. Yes, and that's why Lisa is the one that makes you cry. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Well, these amazing episodes, the Homer's Crayon one. I mean, I'm 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 not gonna pretend I've watched all seven hundred thousand episodes of The <laughs> Simpsons, but I I mean the I understand why your performance got a voiceover Emmy. I I you you said you accept it now. You definitely need to accept it. I'm taking my two Emmys. I got one for writing the Oscars. That's cheating. <laughs> it's the most watched thing in, ever. Of course you got an Emmy. You, you wrote the Oscars? That's right. You Bitch. Wrote, you wrote the song. And now I got a statue that says I'm talented. So now I am. You, however, earned it. <laughs> um, so so let's, I mean, so you go to New York, you do the Mike Nichols thing. There's a, I think one of your first jobs is Maximum Overdrive. I, I like you, you said something amazing about it in your oh, Wikipedia yes, page. Go, you, don't, don't, don't sustain your applause. Like, <laughs> um, <laughs> you had a quote, the, the quote trickled down to your Wikipedia, which is thought was exactly what those people are thinking, which was something like, Truly dreadful movie, but a fantastic role. Like, like, yeah, like yeah, such it's a true. good role. It was uh, it was a bomb when it came out. I've been in a f- several of those. Um, but the great thing about the early '80s, so I think I so I also did a movie called The Legend of Billy Jean. Right. Yeah. Um, yes, Queen. I think the kids you. say now. Yes, that's what they say. Yeah. Uh huh. So I uh, my first movie was a movie called Heaven Help Us. That was in 19. 19- 84. What, now, what, what, heaven help us. Everybody not... was in that movie. Andrew McCarthy, um, Patrick Dempsey, uh, Kevin Dillon, Mary Stuart Masterson. Okay, but what was Donald the, Sutherland. What was the plot? It was about a Catholic boys' school in the 1960s. It was sort of about, it, originally, it was actually a quite serious script about the corporal punishment that goes on in a boys' school, a mm. Catholic boys' school in the 60s. And then by the time they were done with it, it was more like Porky's goes to Catholic school. <laughs> I know I've seen this for sure. So that wasn't, and it was directed by Michael Dinner, who then went on to Michael create... Dinner. Uh, sorry, just a fun name. Oh. All right. <laughs> he went I'm on so to create sorry. the, the Wonder Years. You can call him Ray, and you can call him Jay. But you Brandon, can't call Brandon, him Michael you work Dinner. with Michael Dinner. <laughs> Every <laughs> evening. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I actively sabotaged myself as a podcast. Like, it's a great episode. You're on it. Keep talking, please. I'm so sorry. No, it's fine. It's all, right. all good. So, um... <laughs> So after that, I did uh, The Legend of Billie Jean. Helen Slater? was, yes, and Christian Slater, not related, although they play brother and sister. So weird. I know, it's super weird. That and is they, fucking they weird. And they look kind of alike, because they both, you know, they dyed his hair blonde, and but yeah. um, anywho, not related. And that movie was such a bomb, it was barely out long enough to run the end credits, 
But <laughs> what was great was, it was 1985, and cable television w- had just come on the scene, and they didn't have anything. God. So they ran that fucking thing ad nauseum 24-7, and it is now this huge cult classic, which I was just going to say, like, same with Maximum Overdrive. Oh, but they then the, it's same, all these same. rules. And when the WGA negotiates with the PGA, the, the professional, professional Golfers Association, like... <laughs> They talk about these windows and things yeah. like, and it's like, it all has to do with like when we were kids and it was like, why do I think up the Creek was such a classic? <laughs> well, because you saw because it 75,000 right. times. I, I, right. I watched crawl for like, uh, uh, for like two years. That was, uh, that was all that was on. Cause it's the only thing that was on. Yeah, so it's oh, it's crawl. But that's also like yes. the original Star Trek series. Very yes. similar paradigm. Like they didn't, they got canceled right out of the gate. Yes. And then it was just such a success in syndication. It's like, I think that's always a, a TV writer producers like you, you, you early on, you have that conflict where you see your numbers or whatever. Someone tells you you failed on Thursday night. You fucked up. You didn't do good. <laughs> what do you mean? It didn't do good. Well, the hammer you hit, the thing slid up and it didn't hit the bell that says you're a muscle man. And, uh, which means retaining the office's numbers by 90% or higher. And you're like, I always, I mean, I, it was, it was such a late motif back then where it was like, oh, give me a break. If you just market the show better or give us a better time slot, these people only like what you tell them to. (laughs) And you kind of catch yourself in that moment going like, wait, what do I believe in at all? Right. I do. Do I believe in like making a thing? This is what, this is not what this interview should be about. Let's, let's, let's go back to (laughs) the legend of Billie Jean, which is a fantastic fucking movie that is, is inspired so many. No, it's terrible. It's awful. And and so is Goonies. And so like, like there's so many fucking movies that people think are good and they just fucking suck. But what is a, what is a good movie's job? It's to be there. But I, okay. It's to I mean, be there when not... you're going through puberty. You're just yes. like dripping I mean, off and you're like, I'm coming I'm while gonna... looking at talking trucks. Oh, Transformers are amazing. Fair enough. I mean, people really did, for whatever reason, it was a, it was a movie that people really loved and I get recognized for it about once a week. Still. Billie Jean. Le- legend and maximum overdrive, but mostly I think because I look exactly the same. <laughs> I, know, I am one of those people. If you saw a picture of me when I was four, you'd go, Yardley, that's you. You are super memorable. And I sound the same. Yeah. Pretty much. And this is me, and this is Lisa Simpson. Yeah. It all is just very, very close. <laughs> she raises her voice a little bit to just do the a character. Tag. It Not says very on much. Her Wikipedia. We're very, very no. close. <laughs> but you have said, sorry, one thing about that, though, because that's important, because one, one very sage thing that you said, I don't know when you learned it, when you look back, you're I think around that time you said so much better to 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 have a tiny role in a in a giant movie than to wait for the lead role in something that yeah like 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 it's you can occupy that real estate by being yourself not yourself you're not those characters but being check me out look what I can do you can always I mean there is that old saying you know it's not the size of the role it is it's the size and skill of the actor, right? But I, I do believe that, for the most part, with very few exceptions, you can do a lot with not very much on the page, right? And so I was pretty much game for anything. I have to ask, like, so because your director on Maximum Overdrive was literally <laughs> Stephen King. Yes. 
<laughs> who was coming off of, I believe, as legend have it, has it, he's like, he hated, he hated Kubrick's The Shining. Yeah. He's like, God damn it. What a shitty version of The Shining. If I, if I <laughs> Stephen King, who wrote all these books, if they just let me run the camera, I'd Oy. give them what for. <laughs> Yeah. And I'm not, I mean, I, 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 he's a fucking hero and I'm, I don't mean to piss, but, but like, I, I, I also watching that movie, you're like, well, Kubrick also is an important person. <laughs> Maybe it's yes, an honor. But, that you know, changed. Maximum Overdrive also was a 12 page short story. <laughs> it's just like, and what they stretched came it alive, into signed Stephen King. Yeah. I mean, age 11. <laughs> I was born in Maine. I'm going to die there. I fucking having the time of my life. And my typewriter lost its backspace key. Amen. Amen. Sorry, I'm a little jealous. Um, it was. But, but, but how was he as a director on set? Like as a person, like as a supporter of He was lovely of as pie as a person, but apparently was also at the height of his alcoholism and drug addiction. Right. I love him so much. Oh my God, he's oh my, my favorite God. director now. So it was absolute chaos. And uh, we had, um, so Dino De Laurentiis was the... Uh, was the production company. So we had a pretty much all Italian crew who literally didn't speak English. So we had Steven, who doesn't speak Italian, and we had a translator. I'm not even kidding. We must have added, I don't know, two weeks in translation alone, as he would say, this is what I'd like to do, and the translator like, to Italians. And the Italians would then talk to the guy, and the guy would then talk to Steve. I'm like, oh, my fucking God. And it just went on back and forth like that. And he, you know, to his enormous credit, he was very humble and said, I, I don't know what I'm doing. And so they positioned people around him who did know what they were doing, but they also didn't speak the language. Right. So it was quite cumbersome. And Dino De Laurentiis, you know, it was at the time when, and Canon Films also was of the same sort of ilk, <laughs> where they just did everything on the cheap. And when the you know, the the till hit five million, that was the budget, and They're if like, you didn't right, finish, fuck blow, you, blow you're up done. the truck, put the people in a boat, out. call an ACDC. Yes, <laughs> done. Thanks for coming. Um, so it was an adventure, and I actually remember there's a scene where the truck drives through the diner side yeah. wall, the window, picture window. They had one opportunity to do that. They built that truck stop, and they... They didn't have a stunt double for me, and they said, Yardley, you're going to stand there, <laughs> and the car, this Cadillac, is going to drive through the wall. But don't worry, it's going to go super slow, and it's going to be so easy and safe. And don't move until we tell you, because we only have one shot at this. <laughs> oh, and I'm like, Christ. okay. So, you know, I'm like, okay. So I do that, and I'm not kidding you, that fucking thing was going like... 20 miles an hour. It went so fast. And it just plows through this wall. And I am... <laughs> and finally, I'm just like, when are you going to say move? Like, and why, oh why can't you put someone in a wig? I don't know. The shot so, is from behind me or it's no good. Or it's, it's no good. It's a shot of a car coming yes. toward me. Shoot the fucking car. I mean, Get me out of here. I had so much hair you can't even see my face. <laughs> So yeah, glass everywhere in my hair, the whole oh thing, and yeah, it was an adventure. Was it ACDC? Who made who? Was that who yes, made yes. who? Did they write that for the movie, or is that one of their songs that they just they just uh, applied? I was hoping you'd know. I don't know. I bet yeah, I bet they wrote it for the movie. I'm sure they would do I'm that. I'm always for so Stephen curious King, about right? that when there's like an '80s movie and it's like. Uh, Goblin Dicks uh, Nine, or and like, then there's like, like a kind of a pseudo famous like band, but it's like 
but the, the <laughs> title of the song isn't Goblin Dicks. Right. It's like, like my heart's like a goblin, and you're kind of like, are you just being classy? Or did they like? How do those conversations? Yeah, like, work? Who did all the Nightmare on Elm Street? Dawkins, like, uh, like. Uh, yeah. yeah, well, Nightmare on Elm Street franchise I, is, has sucked in some of our world's greatest talent. Will Smith <laughs> will never escape. <laughs> I, I, like, like, like the Fat Boys were got 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 drawn in. Uh, Do you know they Dokken. wrote the uh, they wrote the Ghostbusters theme song before the movie? The Fat Boys, really? Uh, Ray Parker Jr. Oh, wait. They, they had the Ghostbusters song, and then they were like, "We got to write a movie around this song." <laughs> Is that true? I don't, we, I don't know true. what your joke is. <laughs> I'm too drunk to follow your joke. I just wanted to be included. Nah, I'm sorry. Brandon. <laughs> so I told her Ray Parker Jr. lie. <laughs> By the way, Brandon's really been, been a voice on The Simpsons for the last 35 years. <laughs> like, we wanted to find out if you knew him. Bravo you. Me I, too. I'm a stand-in for Hibbert. Who does Dr. Hibbert? Who is the... Who, uh, Harry. That's the Harry uh, Shearer? Yes. I, the, the, the fucking... Uh, I take it this is a... Uh, hoo, hoo, hoo. Yes, perfect. Unexpected pregnancy? <laughs> perfect. <laughs> I mean, the character is fantastic. Like, that's such a... The when I moved to laugh. L.A., we would watch it in syndication. I'm like, God damn, you don't get funnier than this. This is crazy. When you uh, anyways, were, all right. When you, when you were uh, doing... the started on, on the Tracy Allman show. Yes. Uh, and you guys do the little kind of in and outs of commercials and stuff like that. Yeah. Like, when you were doing that, like... How serious did that? I mean, obviously, you could have no idea what the future would be would hold for that show. Mm-hmm. But like, what, what was that like doing those little those little bits? It was. Um, I remember. Uh, so I got the job because I had done a a, a play at the Fountain Theater here in L.A. Mm-hmm. that I think literally seventeen people saw. But one of those people, a year later, would cast The Simpsons on the Tracy Ullman show. Wow. So when people ask me how do I get into voiceover, I'm like, you're. It's like asking me to solve your calculus pro, you know, <laughs> problem with an abacus. I don't know, because yeah. um, I did it. So it just was so odd for me. It just didn't happen the way it usually happens. Yeah. So I went in to read, and I originally read for Bart, but that really lasted mere seconds. And then, and Nancy was there that day as well, and she read for Lisa, but she always wanted to read for Bart, and she, she did voiceover already. Like, she was already an expert. She was already doing cartoons, and so I then read for Lisa. Had you not done a cartoon before? Oh, no. Yeah, no, I, I again, like, voiceover, I was like, who, I don't, I don't care about voiceover, but I was not an actor who ever said no to an audition, so I, I, you know, I was like, all right, fine, I'll go. As long as it doesn't get in my way of world domination, I'm good. <laughs> Let's do this. Because it's a choice so, gig if you can do it. There's no, yes. you can come in your pajamas. You can like. Right. Uh, but yeah. you know that thing, people, <laughs> people do ask me that. They're like, do you go to work in your pajamas? I'm like, do you? <laughs> oh, sorry. Well, I, I, mean, I do. <laughs> I, 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 but I got fired <laughs> shortly after. I did. I, I did eventually. The minute I thought it was possible, I started doing it, and then I got fired. Post. I was I like, it's post production. Like, you know, it it pose, it raises more questions than an answer. <laughs> That's a good point. That's a very good point. How, how um, close to uh, to Lisa as we know it was your audition? Was it? Um, I think actually. I, I sounded more like myself in the beginning, 
And then as, as the characters got cuter, as the animation got cuter, her voice got a little bit cuter. <laughs> You know, it got it, it morphed a little bit, but not that much. And what's interesting and a little bit sad, and I'll let you in on a on a, a heartbreak a little bit. So they finally, finally, I I I, I um, stumped for one of our phenomenal um, actresses, Tress McNeil, who does Crazy Cat Lady and Mrs. Skinner and um, Cookie Kwan and uh, like any number of the she doesn't she's not doesn't do one of the family members but she does any number of the cast in Springfield and she does Shauna the the um, girlfriend of one of the bullies who talks like this you know she's this valley girl <laughs> and so Tress wasn't at the read through one day and I. They said, Yardley, why don't you do it? So I said, oh, great, I'll do it. So it was really strong, and they really loved it. So the next couple of weeks, they wrote a Valley Girl kind of friend for Lisa Simpson. And the problem was is that if you ask me to do another character who's the same age as Lisa Simpson, I don't have the ability to make the voice different enough to make it not sound like Lisa Simpson. The difference in doing Lisa Simpson and Shauna is that Shauna's like 16, so that worked. And so we recorded it, and then I got an email from the producer saying, I'm sorry, Yardley, it's not different enough. We're cutting it. I'm like, fuck, <laughs> dude. I mean, it's terrible. So I really am a one-trick pony. There you go. Uh, who's, yeah. who's the rangiest? Uh, Harry, probably? or Oh, I don't know. Hank, Dan, and Harry, I would say all three of them, really yeah. neck and neck. To watch those guys go from voice to voice to voice, it never gets old. Like, we, me, uh, so Hank lives in New York, Harry lives all over the world, so Dan, Julie, me, and Nancy all record all together, and Tress is there often as well. And to watch those guys go, all of them do multiple voices, and I just... I stand between them. I stand between Nancy and Dan. Oh, is that true? Yeah, it never gets old. Are you guys all? Uh, you, if you're doing a scene, you're all physically yeah, in the room, like an old radio play. Even if even if Harry or whoever is, is out gallivanting, he, he'll yeah, he'll actually um, somebody will temp for him, and then he'll do his stuff on okay. his own. But and I, Hank as well. I've always wondered: Are you physically in the room together, yeah. or is it all just wild stuff alone? No, we're we're yeah. all together in the room. That's got to be important oh, too. That's got to make it. That's it gives it a, a, a really different texture. I mean, yeah. because obviously the way you say something is going to inform the way I answer. And I think, you know, Jim Brooks, or James L. Brooks, our executive producer, he comes from sitcoms. And so when we first started doing the bumpers, as you were asking, he, I think he was like, I don't know why this would be any different. Right. I mean, it doesn't matter to me that nobody can see you. It's still a conversation. Of course, you'll all be together. Right. And so while most cartoons do do it separately, like when we did that crossover with Family Guy, I went and did all my stuff by myself. I didn't meet Mila Kunis, even though my scenes were with Meg. I, I just I did all my stuff wild, which I, which I can do, of course. I know the character well enough. And you thought maybe when you were watching it, like... Yeah, it's not can, as fun. Yeah. You know, I'd much I'd rather really, do my stuff with I never would have thought to ask you that question. That's how much I would have assumed. Like, uh, yes, I think everybody because does. Because I would have thought I'd been high, I would be high-roading you to be like, well, you guys aren't in the room together. It's, 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 <laughs> it's exciting to me that that's how they do but it. There. After all, this, all, all these years, it's still that way. Yes. That's because great. it's pretty, yeah. from a production standpoint, it is 
needlessly extravagant. Uh, you're yes. talking about actors' schedules. It's much easier to treat human beings like cattle, shuffle them in one <laughs> at a time, isolate all of them, way less chance of anything uncontrollable happening. It's the way but I yeah, prefer I it. Yeah, I just feel like, you know, it's my job, and so you own me, so all right, yeah. I'll show up. But the way we did Anomalisa, um, <laughs> the way we did uh, uh, Abed's Uncontrollable Christmas, because we were doing, like, special things. We were absolutely like, nope, soundstage, entire cast, Everyone's like, well, this is going to be terribly problematic if this person interrupts that person. And we're like, yeah, but I, so I, I, I think that's tremendously commendable. I, I was a, I was a Simpson. I, I, I had a little part. I did a little cameo and I went into the place where you guys record and I uh, saw and multiple microphones, but I didn't think you actually used them. We do. We do. Uh, you know, sadly, our guest stars don't usually come and record with us. Uh, mostly because their schedules don't permit it. It would have but... made me puke blood. <laughs> I, w- I, wouldn't, I wouldn't have been able to hand. I was. It was just perfect. I think. I think it's. That's the way you want to no, be it's on not. The Simpsons. So you want to come fun. in alone no. and everyone go. Thank you for coming and not true. Treat you like the most important person. You don't want to. I no. I'm telling you, it's true. The customer's always right. I did not want to be there with you. I would have freaked yes, out. Yes, you do. No, I don't. We're fun. God damn it! Shut up! We're fun and gentle. No. Shut up. <laughs> um, okay, so like banana peels and stoplights, you end up in the longest running sitcom in television fucking history. Yes. Along the way also though in the 90s like like you like 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 herman's head um uh what else was there Uh, don't hold your herman's head applause (laughs) were you were you i i was a devotee of herman's head however i'm also an alcoholic so i can't remember if you were actually inside herman's head or not no i was in the office you were the you were the you were the the boof to herman's teen wolf you were the you were the the boof well, okay, that's my language for uh, you were the. Uh, I was his best friend. Yeah, you were the the will was, they won't they I right? Was, uh, yes, in a, yes. In a long term, the Winnie yes. Cooper, the or I, not the Winnie Cooper. It was so dumb. I was like a yes. Mm-hmm. It was like it like, was, like 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 we were supposed to if that show lasted more than eight episodes, we were supposed to I think eventually <laughs> be like go to her. Right, and then he did. Right, I so Louis. My character's name was Louise. She was really great fun, and I was this sort of breakout character and. Um, they wrote so I always like got some in each show I got always a really good funny joke which I very much enjoyed and um, but then for some peculiar reason which didn't actually make sense to me and no slag on virgins but they made my character a virgin and I was like but why what is what like why what's the point what's your point anywho they did it and then they decided that she would lose her virginity to Herman and so she did that. Thus, thus justifying the, changing the meaning of the title entirely. <laughs> you know, there was a porn video that came out called Herman's Other Head. Oh, my God. Yeah. There was, a, commu- there was a, a community porno. <laughs> no. Oh, we'll wait. The, co- the community porno, I was so disappointed with initially because it, it was like unreleased. Initially. And... <laughs> He came around. But that's when I realized, I was like, of course the community porno should be this, like, like disaster. It's, right. bit, it's perfect this way. It's like, these guys are misfits at a community college. It's good that Abed's being played by that guy. Like, uh, anyways. Um, but, uh, uh, but, well, maybe to backtrack just for a second, because I, I am curious, because uh, uh, all the... Um, the 
the respect that you are paid by the people that have worked with you. It does include the idea that when you're doing Lisa, which you've done for multiple decades now, that there's a, there might be a little bit of curation there, which, it, you know, guys like me might bristle at the idea of like, what? The actor got a script and looked at it and said, no, she wouldn't say that. Like, how often does that really happen? It doesn't happen very often. They, uh, but I will say when, when on the very rare occasion that the writers, they either write something that I don't think Lisa Simpson would say, or they write, they write somebody being really mean to Lisa and she doesn't have a response to that, then I will always fight that fight. I have to stick up for my girl. Mm -hmm. And I might not win it, but I have to fight it. And, so, and it's important to, I think it's important, for, to, like, uh, in those moments, what phraseology would you use? Because there's, <laughs> like, well, I don't think she would say that. Is that okay. what you mean? Well, yeah, but How I mean, blunt are you, am I now? Well, do you strike a balance between, like, I think that uh, this is kind of a cultural hot button, like in the workplace to be like, I think things should be different around here. Um, some of the most conscientious people might be terrified of making too many waves. Like if I'm, if I'm a cool person, then I'm not going to be one of those people, et cetera, et cetera. Like, I think it's a, it's an ongoing thing of like, is there a certain parlance, especially with actors like, is there a is there a magical way to present your your uh, difference of opinion with the material you're reading and you're about to shoot that in a world where actors, other actors, younger actors might say, are you fucking kidding me? F yeah, you can be as conscientious as you want, but it's fucking eat or be eaten out here. I'm going to do whatever. The <laughs> or, or, or even more extreme, like I'm not taking that job because from the get go, it's these things like. Do you have any advice about that for like when you're you're adjusting to a role that you're already cast in? I um, well, it, it, it it's uh, a dumb question. It's a stupid question. I'm a no, bad interview. No, it's not a stupid question. You know, I I always. So it's a smart question. Sound <laughs> <laughs> like a good well, interview. I, just, I, I I'm not. Maybe I'm not sure I understand the question. I guess I'm kind of like I, it's a it's it's actually a sequel to a question that I've asked Kumail Kumail Nanjiani, who's an old friend of the podcast that all these people miss. Fuck off. <laughs> um, it, 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 he's a person of color, for instance. Uh, like like it's like there in this day and age where it's like we're beyond the point of like the Hollywood shuffle concept of like well you got to do what you got to do. It's it's a, it's everyone's trying to find their way, and I'm all, I'm endlessly curious about how these dialogues are supposed to get uh, struck up in a creative environment where there's such a hierarchy established, a hierarchy which I frankly I'm not I'm not in a hurry to let go, not because I'm an egomaniac, but because I'm a chaosophobe, and I don't necessarily want to just be like here's the suggestion box, let's have everybody start having an open dialogue. Um, and it, like, I'm just curious on the, on the actor side, it, it, like if there's a, if there's a kind of code for an actor who's like 25 years old and they're on the set of their fucking thing and they're like, God damn it, just get through this and don't get fired. But then they see something and let's say that they were like, I don't think either this character would say this, or maybe in a larger sense, this is a little fucking iffy, sketchy. 
Well, I have a, um, a couple of things. I mean, always I feel like you get more, you get further with honey than with vinegar, obviously. And so if you have the ability to be tactful, that will always serve you. I don't think that you have to be, I don't, I don't think you have to pussyfoot around your point so much that you can't get your point across. Um, two things, like if you're an actor who is struggling with a line, I always feel like, I'm, I'm the sort of person who will always give you 100%. So if I'm, at this point, if I'm having trouble with a line, then, like really trouble with a line, like I can't remember it, then I'm gonna say it's possible that the line doesn't actually make sense. Like there is a problem with the logic of the line. So are you willing, and hopefully the person on the other side, the director, if that's who the person that you're speaking to, or the writer, if that person is also present, is willing to have the conversation with you to say, can you tell me what's the overall intent of what we're trying to get across here? Because maybe what you wrote isn't actually what you mean. And if we can actually get to that, then I bet you I can remember that line and that motherfucker comes out so well, everybody's happy. Right, right. That's what I think. So, yeah, I mean, like, it's, yeah. Uh, find a positive way to say it, which is, like, I want to help your show be good. I, I, I mean, we're all on the same side. We yeah. want the same win, right? And in terms of Lisa Simpson, if, if there's a line that really, really bumps for me, uh, you know, I... I that's always pretty easy, but but I, I never I'm not I don't have no desire to excoriate you and say this is the stupidest fucking thing I've ever seen, even if that's what I feel right. inside. You nor would you I'm getting the implication, like because you said, look, at the end of the day, I'm gonna do it. Like you wouldn't probably wouldn't do a standoff, which is all the more the fact that a good actor, just a good writer writes what they're hired to write. A good actor acts what they're hired to act. So we have this kind of Jedi code of like, I'm not going to be a bad craftsman, but right. then there's this like holy like thing that should unite all of us where like if you in the commission of writing this amazing thing and you wanting the best actor that like, like we could like connect and you could go, Look, at the end of the day, I'll say this shitty ass line. I'll fucking do right. it. Um, but I'm, I'm you, about to do it. Before I do, you, do you want to make me, it right? better? I mean, that's the point. Did you, you cast me because me? I exactly. have an energy I, about me? I think exactly. Humphrey Bogart, I think, said uh, like when, when it, you look at a line and a page that is just impossible to say with a straight face. Like It's just such a bad line. And you fought your fight, but this is just how it's going to be because the director's so big or the writer or whatever. And his thing was, if a, if a line is impossible to deliver well, just say it out loud. Don't give it, don't give it anything. Just say it. And, and it often turns out to be great. It can, some, it can sometimes be a very memorable line. He just says it out loud. <laughs> that's how like half of the people, yeah, it's like, okay. Like, like guess what? You're charming. And then they go, God damn it. <laughs> I was trying to torpedo that role. I became Judge Reinhold. Um, the, uh, all right. So like, let now let's go to like, cause I think we can, so this incredible thing happens to you, but in tandem you're, you're cause you were doing Herman's head. Simpsons is going on. Yes. So I'm not sure what the best organic way to get into There's There's two places to go here. They're both related. I mean, you're here because I'm a huge true crime 
uh, fan, my fiance and I have listened to you, uh, and, and this, like, it's truly worth like accolades. I mean, with all due respect to all of our guests that have true crime podcasts and things. I mean, this is truly like a gourmet true crime experience. Um, the, uh, so there's that, but it's entwined with the fact that one of the most impressive things about it is that in the midst of this getting down to the nitty gritty in this true crime show that you do so well, that you're a producer on, not in an in-your-face way, but just eventually you just you share your story as a victim. And so does Libby. Um, Zibby. Zibby. <laughs> she's now twice a victim. Um, <laughs> ju- just forgot her name. Um, we'll edit it. The, the, um, it, it, they're harrowing tales. It's insane. It's not... A, it, so I don't know where to go because I want to talk about the nuts and bolts of your podcast because mm. I think it's so admirable and it's so disconnected from this other thing that I'm really fascinated with which is you as a human being, an actor who has experienced crime. Mm. I don't know what uh, I'm wiping it on you, my indecision, because I don't know. <laughs> I, 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 if we go down the true crime podcast path, I'm going to have endless questions about how you produce that show and stuff. Um, I just also want to talk to you about this, this story that you told, and I don't want you to recount it because I truly believe, I mean, it was like, people need to go listen to small town dicks. What's the episode title? Uh, stalked stalked where i mean you believe me regardless of whatever your position in this cosmos might be it's a fascinating story there's no way it's going to piss you off offend you trigger you it is just harrowing and interesting Mm -hmm. i think the most interesting thing about it from my perspective is as a narcissist (laughs) how you ended up in this situation where this person um it was a guy who worked on our house and was like, and he just started crossing boundaries. It was very quote unquote organic. Mm-hmm. And as I described on this podcast before, like there's a point where you're describing the story and there's this theme running under it, which is that, which has come up here in this conversation, which is about you, you've, you've got to not accept anybody's help. Mm-hmm. You're not going to go tell anybody. Right. The police, the guy that works on Herman's head, whose job is to keep people who work on Herman's head from getting stalked. Right. Which is a huge expense. Shout out to the producers of Herman's (laughs) head for putting them in the budget. Right. I thought that would get a bigger laugh, but (laughs) not a lot of showrunners in the audience. But like like you choke up. Not at any point where I would expect any human being to choke up in telling that story. The exact point that you choke up when you're telling the story is the point in the story where you go to get help. Mm. Because you are, not to put words in your mouth, that's the point where you really get victimized. It's not the point where this orangutan is abusing you, stalking you, predating you. Um, it's, I'm ashamed it's that I point, need to get it's help. It's the point where you go to a, a mm-hmm. another orangutan and say, I need you to, to, to keep this guy. Like you hate yourself at that point. Yes. I want 
the thing that is the most important to talk about to me is that that's the dark side of this because other story that you're this plucky, ah, I'm going to, I'm going to dominate the world without anyone's help. Right. Right. Because there is, you know, part of, again, that duality, that, that insecurity underlying that this far from the surface is, is, is this, is this, um, fathoms deep well of vulnerability. And this is what they're waiting for. This is six year old voice. She's going to, is that is it like, like, was that what's going on in the back? They're, oh, everyone's going to be so fucking stoked if I say, oh, it's, it's rough out here. My contractor like feels creepy. I'm sorry. Oh, so, oh so I, okay. I'm way off mark. Like I was trying to, I, I, was, I was like, is the fear there that like, you're like, oh. I just was, I, it, you know, in my family, we don't, you don't, you don't, you, you know, you don't air your dirty laundry. I was, uh, we grew up really, really waspy, right? White Anglo-Saxon Protestants. So you pull up your socks and you get on with it. You just sort of keep it all together. And so you don't show your vulnerability. And I, and I am a person of extremes, I think, in many ways. And so when I set the bar high, I set it so high that it's not like I set it high and I can stand on my toes and touch it. I got to, like, get on a fucking trampoline and jump so high, like, whoo! You know, it's just almost out of reach. But when I touch it, that is, it's not even as much an accomplishment. It's, um, there's just a sort of this tiny bit of relief, which is kind of fucked up. There's very little celebration. When you live with that kind of um, vulnerability and you attach your, and I don't do it so much anymore, thank God, because it's a zero sum game, but when you attach your value to what you do and to that external validation, you're in big, big trouble. And so if you then find yourself in a situation like that, now you've painted yourself into a corner. And so when I break down in that episode, there, there's realization that I can't do it all myself. That feels like extraordinary failure. Because now I have to unzip and you get to see all my insides. Yeah. And that was never the plan. And, but, and I, I <clears throat> tell me to back off because I'm clumsy and drunk, but like I want, I'm so fascinated by the control hatch on that interaction. At that moment when you you're going to the to the man that mm. said to you, "I'm paid for you to tell me if anyone gets out of line," and then you're it's the moment where you're going to him and like I I'm I'm kind I just I'm I want to know like what is the beating heart behind the the shame like like the idea that that moment when you you go to him and you say I got a I got an issue here and I need help like like um. Is there, is there language you can access about like, so that we can mark it and go like, if I hear this in my head, that's not worth dying for, like like that where you were what? I, let me try to phrase this in a way that you can answer. I'm setting you up to fail. Um, the like, what's what was your in your primal crazy head? Not you're not crazy. I mean, you're I'm the crazy part of your primal head. A little head. crazy. It, um, <laughs> what would be the worst if no matter how not realistic, what would be the nightmare response when you went to someone and said, I've been having this guy is basically stalking me. It's gotten way out of control and I'm overwhelmed and I need help. 
what would be the nightmare response from the other person? It sort of was the nightmare response when he said, Yardley, why didn't you tell me when he showed up at your house and said, my wife threw me out of the house, right? Right. Like, why didn't you tell me weeks ago? Why didn't you, as though you knew long ago, why did you wait so That's long? That's very familiar to the kids. You know, you're, it's sort of your fault. Right. You got yourself into this. What were I'm you glad, wearing? Why didn't you, why you were know, you out? Why were you drinking at USC? Exactly. Like, you, you, you waited too long. It's no surprise that you find yourself in this situation. And, and you can't handle it on your own. Like all of the things that when you get to that point and you have to ask for help, you realize, okay, I can't handle it on my own. Yes, I probably waited too long. No, I can't do it all myself. Yes, it's okay to ask for help. All of the things that in my life I had just learned, I'm never going to, I hope I never have to go to those things. I hope I never have to tick those boxes. And then I did. And when you and say now, it out and loud, and kind it's of, really no big deal. By but, the way, now I'm doing it again. Cause but, I'm like, tell me, tell me about the point. And I'm like, it, <laughs> it, it, but that, that I get that now. Like I, 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 I it's like, God damn it. I was almost fucking home. <laughs> like how much do I have to do to prove I'm strong? Right. And, then, and then it's like, somebody's like, no, I'm going to, fucking literally I'm going to build a spider web in your attic and like try and you're like, all right, are you serious? I have to like call customer service on this. <laughs> I bought, I went Linux for a reason. I'm a fucking, <laughs> I, it, that's what I, I don't want to say that's what I thought. I, I, it's, it's not so complicated, you know, but in your, in your head, I think, or if you're the sort of person who, who spends a lot of energy trying to, make sure that nobody sees your vulnerability, then the moment that there's a crack in that facade, it feels catastrophic. Mm -hmm. And that, I think, and it's it's not true. Because like, if this nobody one thing isn't true about me, you. then what if everything is, right. everything could be untrue about me? And so it's, it's, I don't think anybody else feels that way about my vulnerability, but in that moment, you, it does feel like this massive failure because all your life you've been told, like, don't ever let anybody see that. Well, your friend, your really so. good friend, I assume she's a really good friend. You're co-hosting a podcast with her. I think I, in general, you guys are so good at interviewing. Um, <laughs> she is like piping in just the right amount. She's probably heard the story a thousand times and she's mm -hmm. sort of like, yeah, but stop here for a second Yardley because she knows people listening to this story want you to explain right. just for a second. Are you seriously putting up with this at this point? And it's a, it is a, it's a truly therapeutic exercise. You guys, please listen to the episode. It's incredible. I, is, I, is that the first episode? Is that, is that the no? Episode? God no, no because we uh, would never trade in that. It's <laughs> no. I think it's in the second season. Okay. Somewhere buried in the middle there. Um, she so, also so, has. So, so at some point during this true crime podcast, this thing that's happened to you, which which we're kind of vaguely referring to, that that began to happen, or is it something that happened? No, to you it happened before? long ago. Okay. Happened in the early nineties. So at some point in the second season of of your uh, small town dicks, you just just you started talking about that on the show. We actually all of our cases are told by the detectives who investigated them. Oh wow. Except for two episodes, one incident that happened to Zibby, ah. where she was mugged, and then that was in season one. And we did it because the detectives, Dan and Dave, we have two identical twin detectives on the show who <laughs> co-host with us, talked about this thing they call the Goofy Loop, goofy where loop. you 
like a, a yeah. So a cop will be like on a traffic stop and be like, "Get out of the car! Get out of the car!" Get out, and you're already out of the car, and they just keep telling you, get out of the car, get out of the car. And they're just sort of like so wound up, and that's called the goofy loop. And so Zibby was then, we were at lunch, and she was talking about this thing that happened to her, and they were like, you were in the goofy loop. So we did this episode where it was the only one that wasn't actually told by a detective, obviously. And then so the next time in the second season, and a season doesn't actually correspond to a calendar year, we just, we're actually only two years old, but um, we do about two seasons a year. In the second season, we did this episode where I was stalked by this guy who'd worked on my house. Yeah, and you had another story before that, too, of a guy who was leaving yes, creepy notes in your uh, Yes, on my uh, front door. I mean, it's, 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 it, 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 and it reminds me up. of the story, was it Rebecca Schaefer? Yes, um, which was right around the same time. You were, and I actually auditioned for that part. I went to the network for that role. Um, you kids, uh, who aren't my, my sister age, Sam. Like, yeah, it's like, uh, there, there, it was this young actress who she, uh, her, uh, murder, uh, kind of changed the landscape of stalking, uh, rules here in our, uh, great state of California, like where it was like, all right, enough is enough. Um, this woman was absolutely stalked and murdered in like plain sight like this guy just decided he wanted to kill her and there was no way there were it it it, it changed it it changed a lot of stuff and it's a it's a really tragic story um and it was happening at the exact same time mm -hmm. How, when i'm just morbidly curious was it happening at the exact same time in the sense that were you had rebecca been killed when you were enduring some of this uh, shit when did she, I, my thing happened, I think hers happened after mine, because mine happened in, uh, like, 93, right, it happened around the same time, roughly, I'm so bad with dates, I'm sorry, I don't remember. Yeah, no, I, I measure things by, uh, <laughs> Emmys, uh, Fair enough. I was after my third <laughs> Emmy. <laughs> At 9-11. 9-11, I, I, that's, uh, that was before 9-11, that was after 9-11. <laughs> so, like, my 37th birthday was halfway between 9-11 and my second Emmy. <sighs> Dan, you're not relatable. I don't care. <laughs> I don't need to be relatable. I'm a living god. <laughs> I may also be super drunk. Um... So let's get into the true crime of it. I really think because it's like I I I, I the audience are like I hate true crime. I hate true crime. Go ahead. Do hate you hate it, true crime? A lot of well, they're just saying that <laughs> because they love you, and that's one of the things. Like you, you and your partner have like created the show. So here's the here's the reason why this is an amazing show. So true crime, what you might be used to, and I think this is a great art form, is total amateurs in an armchair hanging out, going like, "Hey, well, here's what I think about John Benet Ramsey." Like, like that's fucking great, and I live by it. Um, but you are also a fan of that art form, but you inexplicably, <laughs> um, have created a truly responsible and professional show that I would truly recommend to anybody. I would, I wouldn't bother to preface it by going, do you love true crime? Because I'd be like, you must love film noir or you must love like just the idea of anything. I mean, I, I think it's the only true crime show I've ever heard that I think cops could listen to next to victims, for instance. Cop, we get a lot of um, uh, 
messages, emails, reviews from cops saying, this is amazing, thanks so much, thanks for telling it from our point of view. So like I said, all of our cases are told by the detectives who investigated them. And it started because I'm friends with Dan and Dave, these identical twin detectives, and they are one investigated uh, violent crimes and one <clears throat> investigated um, sex crimes and child abuse. And to just hear them talk about their day was the most harrowing, extraordinary, mind-blowing, like, like I, their Tuesday is so much more incredible than my any ever day. Like, Can you imagine I just, being interrogated in stereo by twin detectives? Seriously. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if they ever you. I mean, yes. wasn't that one of the first questions you asked them? Like, have you guys ever done a Dead Ringers? They yeah. actually have. Uh, what's funny is when, because they live obviously in the same town, so they have had criminals say, fuck you, to one of them. And like, you don't mean You're me, the one you mean my brother. My coke yeah. You're like, yeah. no, you mean my brother, yeah. right? Yeah. It, me as a criminal, how, how do I know which is the good cop, which is the bad cop? Right? <laughs> These guys, though, it is remarkable, and also all of your guests, but most, like, like these two guys, these yes. anonymous detectives, they... It, it, to put it in D&D terms, these guys are Thank like... <laughs> I, try, I try to... Um, they're paladins. I, 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 the paladin class is like, it's not the one everyone chooses. I don't want to ride around in a suit of armor on a white horse and like go... And it already sounds like I'm trivializing it because the more important thing is in the sort of dragnet arch archetypal mm. sense... God, it's so, it, God, I'm all over the place. Here, here's where I'm going to start with this. As an American citizen, I think my worst um, uh, fear about cops, including homicide detectives, was realized by Mark Furman. Like, even from Wisconsin, it was sort of like, didn't we all think that that's how it worked? That, and worse than thinking that this is what detectives are, it's actually more about this is what we think of the world. Because we would assume, I don't want to do that job. And so if this guy does that job and he's racist, then maybe that job makes you racist. And it toxifies everything. And, and it's so different and from, from to hear these guys who are like, I have no idea what they look like. They're anonymous. You guys keep their identity secret, which is adds the charm. Um, they're, they're, they, you can't be that by the book and that candid. They they sit there with you guys and they interview other detectives. There's Couldn't I just Google identical detectives and find <laughs> out who these guys are? I, you I, could, but we actually say in our opening, while some of our listeners may recognize some of these cases, we hope that you'll join us in keeping their uh, identities so, yeah. secret uh, to it, protect it, the victims and what they've been through. And so are, are all the cases uh, cases that these two have worked on themselves? No. Oh, so, so they're just giving their insight on no. cases but that, 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 that... No. What, sorry. <laughs> so we do cases that Dan and Dave have investigated. We also have guests from other small towns who come and tell us cases that they have investigated and Dan and Dave because they are they are of the brotherhood. 
are there to comment and sort of weigh in awesome. as well. Gotcha. Um, What's incredible is the is I mean you guys are so restrained, but then it's like it's like listening over the seasons. You guys like learn phrases, and then yes. like two seasons later, you're like, oh yeah, but wouldn't that be equibbly dibbly? <laughs> yes, and they're yes. like, well, that's a very good point, Thank Yardley. You. But Thank you. <laughs> in this case, in our district, you're not allowed to do equibbly dibbly. Oh, okay, Ooh. fine, just checking. But <laughs> it's more importantly, like it's Dan and Dave who are like, it's like you could never get cops to host. A podcast right it would be a terrible podcast because they'd be like hey i'm dan i'm dave we're hanging out i don't know i'm sure it'd be great but no but you know what's interesting so originally the concept of the podcast was dan and dave would just talk to each other over a glass of scotch <laughs> which would be fine and, and it wasn't fine <laughs> Because they were, they, first of all, sometimes you put a microphone in front of somebody and they sort of freeze up and they don't know quite what to do. And suddenly with Scotch, it got all a bit slurry in about, you know, 40 minutes. So that wasn't a podcast. I won't tolerate that. And so. (laughs) That is a podcast killer. Yeah. Where's the professionalism, Dan? So anyways, when the Bart Simpson went (laughs) down. Uh, give me one second. I have to go solve the crime of Jeff has to pee. Um, I already know who done it, and it, it's me. And it was in the master bedroom of my pants. Uh, Continue, please. I'm so, so sorry. Um, so then they said we need you and Zibby to ask us questions. Wait, so, oh, sorry, 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 sorry. They they tried it by themselves. Yes. Well, you didn't we put were them there. up to it. No, we were all there. Zibby and I, because we had, we were like, okay, we'll produce it, and you guys will. It'll you were, just you be were you like, guys. you should have a podcast. Yes. We should not be talking Correct. during it because I'm the voice of Lisa Simpson. It'll only fuck things up. Yes. And and then they like pressed record, and they're like, okay, so yes, what about that perp? Yes. And you guys are like, okay, how do I put this? Anyway, I love it. They were actually the ones who were like, this doesn't work. Of course, because they're paladins. They're good guys. Yeah. They're wonderful yes. guys. They're great guys. And I will say, and to your point about Mark Furman, you know, one of the things that I love about our podcast and it's been a sort of unexpected treasure about it is that while there is certainly a really worthy conversation about the really about the horrible things happening in law enforcement in this country, I would say 99% of them are actually trying to do their very best. And if we have an opportunity to shine a light on those people as well, that's also part of the conversation. And these guys all say, and the women, that it's a calling, it's not a job. And so, um, you know, I, I really, they really, really, really are going the distance to do it right and do it well. And we have cases about, we have a really fantastic four-part series called The Sociopath and the Whistleblower about a bad cop who was a bad cop for 10 years. That's fucking incredible. And it rocked this town. Isn't we that, like, aren't, aren't Dan or Dave, isn't they're, they're the protagonist of that or no? Uh, no, that's a guy named uh, Lieutenant Scott who okay. investigated that. We did. We have a great. Have you listened to the interview? So we have a another great two part case called "Presumed Guilty," and then that's in season two about two guys who were sent to prison for a crime they ended up not committing. And then we did an interview with one of those guys who had been in prison for eight years this season, but not on the phone, right? No, he's he's sitting. He's sitting with us. Yes, thank God. <laughs> 
I mean, yeah, I know no, people's lives are important, yeah, yeah. but the audio quality. I know, I know. I oh feel you. Oh, my God, with the true crime. I know. With the, it's hard. Oh, so what's yeah. it like to be the mother of Jeffrey Dimer's 12th victim? I love it. In the booth, Zach is adjusting you right now like... Well, maybe uh, if you're nice to the sound engineers, you'll get better sound, motherfucker. It is, it is such a profound thing, though, to hear these guys. And they all strike a similar silhouette, but they're, some of them are so different. There's like the guy who's like, well, I'm the guy that shows up when there's an arson, but also, so I like yeah. know more about skin burns. But some of them are crass. Some of them are polite. Some of them are afraid to be profane. Some of them are. What what really comes across is that if any of these guys, in spite of how kind of maybe stoic the mm. job demands that their personalities be, we, I am socially conditioned to believe that if a barrel-chested, as I picture all of them, <laughs> uh, st- a man with a notepad and a gun on his hip that he's allowed to kill anyone he wants with, that when that guy's being stoic, that... Um, he's hiding the fact that he's racist, homophobic, misogynistic, that he wishes that uh, the filth in the street could blah, blah, blah. It, it'd be rained out. And it 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 is so therapeutic to listen to just the simple dragnet reality. These guys often refer to dragnet moments because what they do is so clerical. They, they move from address to address and they keep careful notes and they're, I love the rule of law being the protagonist in these stories. Yes, they're very methodical. And we actually always also try to get into the, like, who are you as a person? Why do you do what you do? And then how do you, if you are the person who goes toward all of the stuff that the rest of us run from, where does that live inside of you? Yeah, we and always, and always and ask is that it question. Because you're, like, you're what's a wrong with person, you? <laughs> or is it because you're a hero? How do you I, do it? It's it's debugging. <laughs> I think I got from this guy that we call Asperger Detective on this show because he has a true crime podcast. It's just him and a microphone and his crazy brain, like do, doing an awesome job of talking about famous murder cases. But he <clears throat> he really woke me up to like the healthy reason why I think that maybe. True crime is a fascination, which is sort of a debugging of of uh, of our experiment with being a society. Mm. Like, because you've got a you've got a couple different leads coming in. You've got the cops that are showing up. You've got the victims that are showing up. You've got the perpetrators that are showing up. And you're looking at it with your little Ghostbusters lens and going, "Okay, did did which of these things went wrong?" Mm. And we tend to get drawn to the famous things. Okay, so let's all talk about John Benet Ramsey for a million years because it's endlessly fascinating. But your podcast is like, there are a million small towns in America. All of them have big crimes constantly happening in them. And then all of them have a homicide detective who shows up, who is like, <laughs> this is like, and you guys do a really good job. You're good interviewers. I wish you were doing this podcast. Um, <laughs> like, I, it just like... It, it takes the effect of like this VR experience because these guys, they're, they're like, you're like, so what happened first? And they're like, okay, so I got a call from third and Lincoln and I went <laughs> in and I saw the door immediately. First thing I noticed, door's got water damage. Mm-hmm. And it just, and it just goes from there. So, I mean, I can't, if you don't like it, you're a piece of shit. 
even if even if you hate crime or love it, I don't know what kind. Of, I, it really is a good podcast. Thank you. How how do you produce it? Are, are you part of a network? I'm not. No, the, actually, we do it. Um, we're a tiny team. Um, Zibi and I edit on paper, and then we pass it off to two editors who put it into Pro Tools. It's an incredibly edit-heavy podcast because we're not dealing with professional storytellers. Okay, so, so you guys aren't that amazing people like, and are that thoughtful because that would be too intimidating because I was going to ask that. What do you mean? You guys are so... He thought you were doing it in one take, you're like so, without any editing. Your questions are so thoughtful and you're never interrupting and being a big drunken idiot and uh, you're, you're just editing it all out. All out. <laughs> we actually have now learned to... The thing about interrupting, what's interesting is we used to interrupt... <laughs> no, we used to interrupt more. Your, let, me, let me stop you right there. <laughs> <laughs> this, is an, this is a pro-interrupting show. <laughs> That's right. Go ahead. <laughs> and Dan and Dave said to us, they pulled us aside, literally, and said, when these detectives are telling these stories, it's often like they're testifying on the stand, and it's much better just to let them go. And if you have questions, write them down and then come back to them afterward. If there's a natural break, you can ask the question, but it's it's less good to sort of try to get one in it doesn't oh. it, th their brain it's just not like that i i, I, I it mean was, that I mean, is it's funny <laughs> I, I i love hearing that for several reasons one is that i love the idea that the the men and women that we put in charge and nine binaries that you're welcome um that we that, that we put in charge of that really specific like tier of law enforcement where the crimes already happened now they got a the paper trail begins and they got to find the perp. I think they're called perps. <laughs> I love, I love, I'm so much more comfortable with the idea of them being not natural performers. <laughs> I would really like them to have Asperger's. Yeah. <laughs> I would really like them to be like, no, I'm more of a detail oriented person. They really are who, very detail aren't. They're very organized that way. And they, so yes, to your point, we're very edit heavy. They, you know, we, it's just, there's repetition. You, you, uh, we, my, here's my thing. The most important minute is the next minute. And so you don't want your audience to uh, turn away. You don't want them to turn you off and go and do something else. And so I really have tremendous respect for our listeners. And I want my podcast, podcast to be clean. God That's just damn. my thing. I mean, if you don't listen to it now, you're a piece of shit. <laughs> she just said the most important minute is the next minute. That means every minute's more important than the next. <laughs> Fuck you, people. You don't get it. <laughs> I hope you don't listen to it, because it sounds like it'll, it'll make you better. <laughs> and you deserve to be worse. Thanks for coming, Yardley. I'm sorry. so sorry about sorry. the audience. <laughs> they're, I think they're drunk, <laughs> frankly. I who, hope who have you drunk. been beefing with about people that don't like... Uh, are, are people getting I don't on know you? the ghost of my dad. Who isn't even dead? That's how drunk I am. <laughs> you're just you're just imagining that people are mad at you for loving yes, true crime. That's called shame. I I was just talking to Ron Funches about this on his better podcast today. Because he was doing a better job of interviewing me. No, no. Compare and despair. Don't do it. Compare and despair. Yeah. God damn it. Brandon, how are you doing? I'm trying to tell you, she she dropped the, you know, you should listen. <laughs> How do you, uh... We, oh. we should ask about, activist was one of the ways that uh, you described her. Oh, yeah, her. I guess I do want to uh, know. Yeah. But can I ask one quick one? Oh, uh, yeah, I 
Fuck, right. Randy. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm being shrubbed. <laughs> Tis an honor. Um, uh, what's the coolest thing that your job has allowed you to be able to do? Um, the, the coolest thing that my job is, has allowed me to do has given me freedom of choice. And I really, and I said that, it's, and now actually, I, I used to always say that, and I said that to Matt Selman, who's one of our executive producer writers the other day, I know and he Matt. goes, and he's so funny Dan, and shut smart. the fuck up. <laughs> I was a Simpson. <laughs> Fucking guy. And he said, oh, so you mean you have money? And I'm like, yes, it, it, money is a part of it, but it is so much bigger than that. And then... So here's a story about freedom of choice. Three years ago, I broke my neck. That's and a terrible choice. Just be quiet for I'm a so second. Sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. It was funny though. It was funny. Story. It was funny. It was funny. Not worth interrupting, but it was funny technically. <laughs> technically. So it was a really, really, really bad break. And I came within a millimeter of being paralyzed from the neck down. Can I ask how it happened? I fell down a flight of stairs in a parking garage. Oy. And I separated C5 and C6 and stretched my spinal cord to within a millimeter of snapping. So, and that would have meant paralysis for probably life, right? Oh, yes. Yeah. Or death. Or death. So, or superhero. Dan! Origin. Dan. <laughs> I'm trying to prove a point okay, here. Okay, okay, okay. It'll be short. All right. So no, you talked longer. I want the show to be good. <laughs> so it, it took me a full year to recover. Now, I'm lucky because I have good health insurance, but what I really had was time. And I had time because I have this amazing job. And what I realized is that even the, the thing that nobody has the thing that nobody it was time that I could go to physical therapy five days a week and it wasn't about the money it was that I could go because I didn't have to be anywhere else right. and so that is about the freedom of choice and what I the other thing I always say is you know if I have this extraordinary opportunity that this job has given me if I don't have the wherewithal to do something with that then that's on me then I'm the asshole. So right. that's the best thing. Yeah, the idea of of waking up in the morning and knowing that the reason you're getting out of bed has is somehow intersecting with you wanting to. Yes. Instead of having that fallback that we're all too familiar with, which is like, well, I gotta quit smoking. Well, I'm a smoker, but I gotta quit smoking. And you like fall into that trap of like, okay, so I, I'm living in two totally different realities. Like, I'm getting out of bed because my alarm clock rung, and I'm a dishwasher, so I'm going to go wash dishes. It's not. It's absolutely not what I want to do. And that's how 99% of us live. And we call that work. And right. we call that paying the rent and stuff. And so then 1% of us have this privilege. It's an enormous privilege. to If you're going to spend so much of your time at work, then hopefully it's something that you enjoy because And hopefully is, you'd you be know. able to, like, come down from that Mount Sinai and be like, Right. Hey, everybody that had to wash dishes, otherwise they'd lose their house. Right. I'm, I'm, I, I get to jump out of bed in the morning knowing 
that I'm stoked about what I do. And I just want to let you know, it's not that great. It also sucks. <laughs> Fuck off. And that would still be an uplifting message. Okay, I didn't. I don't I, you guys, you guys didn't receive that. I, <laughs> I mean, it doesn't have to be like, like, oh, I'm Sting. I love doing what I love. It, like, it, I think it could also be it inspirational really, to hear it people can be go. Really simple. You know what? I I got a million dollars for taking a shit on a paper plate. I feel bad about myself. I think that can be really uplifting for poor people. And then that second question was about activism. <laughs> Let's move on to that. Yeah. What, what is uh, what's the LGBTQ uh, activist stuff that you're well, like, Jeff? A part of? It's uh, it's part of the gay thing. Uh. Oh, sorry, you're asking her. Okay, my um, answer was going to be stupid. For a really long time, I uh, so when California um, voted against gay marriage. Uh, I was, I had just actually produced a movie that Dustin Lance Black had directed called Virginia that um, Jennifer Connelly and Ed Harris had starred in. And he introduced me to Chad Griffin, who at the time had just teamed up with uh, Rob Reiner. And they started the American Foundation for Equal Rights to overturn Proposition 8. And they came to me and said, Yardley, we need to fight this fight, and we need money. And I said, I'm in. So that was sort of my first really, really big push. And um, I uh, was one of the major donors for that. And then Chad got poached from, once we did that, um, the American Foundation for Equal Rights um, f went away. And Chad got poached to the human rights campaign. And then I sort of followed him there and uh, supported them there. And I actually was just honored there this last spring at their gala as uh, I got the National Leadership Award for supporting the LGBTQ community. Wow. Now there's something. That there's another one of, I'm sure, your hundred answers for what your job has afforded you to be able to do is to become like a, a donor to these things and a philanthropist. Yes, I'm, you know, I'm a quiet donor. I actually, I don't, I rarely, I'm um, not a flashy donor. I give quite generously, but I, I never need to be, um, I don't ever need my name in lights about that. It's, and it's funny, so when I had to give this speech about being recognized by the human rights campaign, I, it was, I got a big laugh when I said, so I've been agonizing for months about how to thank you for thanking me properly <laughs> for doing this. I'm like, thanks, because now I've not slept since Christmas. I mean, it was really, um, I mean, I was incredibly gratified, but I also felt like I really don't, I don't need you to, I don't need it. I'm good. Like, they personally are right. always so gracious towards me, but they really, really, really wanted to do it publicly. And so I recognized that part of being gracious is allowing people to say thank you. And so um, I accept the, that. They should be, like, obviously, they're not going to just n never thank you and never want to honor you. But they should have a, like, they should come to you and say, hey, we're either going to throw you this big event where you get to get up and agonize over a speech, or <laughs> we'll just, you, you get to know that we want to do that for you. And you, can, you can flip that coin and go whichever way you want. I wish, but they were not giving me that option. They were like, you <laughs> will it, get I mean, up there. <laughs> I, I think it's important, actually, whether you like it or not, that they're, they, the strategic benefit of 
because someone like me who would do it for the wrong reasons is like, hey, I want I want that. I think it's important. <laughs> I, I think you would donate great. to these great causes just so you I could have do, a little gala. I would do events. great causes for very <laughs> wrong reasons. No, but I I, I do think that um, I, I that, that 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 idea of deflecting compliments being like a thing that that like if somebody's saying thank you mm-hmm. and then how you react to that, it's like like your instinct being to be like almost like fuck you. It's real <laughs> because you're because if if you did something nice for any other reason than to be nice, then that person that's actually thanking you is arguably an enemy in your, in your pineal gland. You're like, Sh-. And, and then like I had to, I had a, a therapist had to explain to me like, no, no it's part of it. You have to telling be, you, yes. you that, that they're happy that you did. And you, thing. part of it is you have to receive it. So get over it and receive it. It's part of the deal. I'm, I'm going to help some so. gay people. Are, 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 are you good? Like, in, in, in a smaller way, are, are you good at... Are you well, good not at, you. Not are, anymore. Are, are you comfortable with, sm- like, small compliments in general? Like, are, are, do, you, do you accept them easily, or is it difficult to even accept little compliments? Let's uh, test it. Let's test it. Don't even answer. What? Damn? Shut up. <laughs> um, Jeff, you're a piece of shit. Thank you. <laughs> okay, he's pretty good. <laughs> I, I feel like I am. Uh, whatever happens internally, uh, you know, if I'm, and it really can be sort of day to day. If I, if I, like, I was almost late today, tonight, because I couldn't get out of my closet because I changed clothes like five times. <laughs> you chose well. This butterfly dress is rocking. Thank you. Um, and it's. See, she did it. Thank you. We got it. But you kind of took it, you kind of bowed your head. You're like, thank you. I, uh, <laughs> Where, 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 did you? Did part of you think in your head, "Fuck you, this butterfly"? Did no? Did see, you have to translate I, it to the second language of? <laughs> no, I don't think so. Okay. I, I just, but it's I'm, you know, I'm just sort of I'm a I'm a complicated little yeah. critter in there sometimes. I'm but I, I I I I recognize now. I like it's compliments are fine. I'm good with it. I really am good. I just honestly knew that I I just really didn't need that big, big recognition. I was really okay with Chad and Chris Farron, who r- runs the foundation under him. Um, they're always, like I said, so personally gracious. I was like, that is so enough for me. I am good. But they were insistent, so is I. Is there a specific turn of phrase? Up. And I'm not saying this because like, it's like I think I like like like. So is there something that someone can say like? There's something that performers, people that want attention, like, did you hear something from them that made that through that gear? And you're like, oh, that's what I want to hear. And I don't actually need to hear it from 250 million people on Twitter. I actually need to hear it from two people who are like running this charity drive. That's a good question. Um, I, I don't know if there's a... That's a dumb question. Don't even... Do you have one, Dan, that you want to hear? You know, I, I think I think it's fucking like you're a good person, but it's like, if someone said that to me, I'd be like, well, you're a liar and you're a piece of shit. And I'll never <laughs> trust you. I'm going to hit you in the head. I, You know, it's funny. I often joke that I I'm, I, I work for biscuits, that I'm sort of like a dog. I, I respond to biscuits. <laughs> um, so I do like to know that I did a good job. I like that. Yeah, I really do. I work very hard. I like to know that I set the bar high, I touch the bar, and that you recognize that. 
I'm glad you were here. That's so, my thing. Thank that's, you. No, 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 no like that's that. what I want to hear. I'm saying it to you too. I'm glad you were here. <laughs> Thank you. That's what it is. I'm happy to be here. It's kind of cocky. <laughs> Let's give it for Yardley Smith, everybody. <laughs> Thank you so much. That's a terrible <laughs> ending. That's a terrible ending. I'm glad you guys are here. Uh, Thank you so much. Let Yardley know you're glad she was here. I'm going to say best guest ever. Yeah, I, I'd say so. Brandon Johnson, Spencer Critton, and I'm Jeff Davis. Your mayor is Dan Harmon. Thank you, Yardley. Thank you for everything that you're doing, and thank you for making us so happy for so long. Thank you all for coming. Drive fast. Take chances. Doing things that don't mean shit Still looking for tail I'm still looking for my checks in the mail Without fail, we bring it back To its original form Been doing this before you young cats were born Hated in my own backyard What kind of logic is that? These niggas mad cause I'm bringing it fat In fact, I'm never broke, never blowing the smoke But when I'm standing in the crowd They be knowing the quotes It's like Star Audio A podcast network